But for the most part, I find men that they come, and when we provide an opportunity for them to share, they really are honest and they say, you know what, my exterior life is not the same as my interior life. But John Eldridge, in his book, Wild at Heart, says of us men in that position, he says, we're living quiet lives of desperation. We're not sure what to do, how to change. We know there's something more, but how do we find it? So in the meantime, we, I, fill it with busyness, electronics, church, volunteer work. Linda has family members, and they have a meal together, and they're all on their phones. Is that not exciting or what, you know? You don't even need to say pass anything. You just text the person beside you. They don't even talk. It's just... Well, that works for keeping everything safe and at a distance. We fill ourselves with volunteer work, with employment, with clubs, with sports, entertainment, athletics. And we say we're so busy, we don't have time to be with God. We don't have time to do this. We don't have time to do that. On Boxing Day morning, I joined my daughter, who's from down east, and a couple of her kids. And we went to the Tanger Outlets. I never go to Tanger Outlets. I hate Tanger Outlets. If you love them, God bless you. But I hate them. I don't like shopping. I don't really think I like people. I mean, God bless you. I like seeing you. But that's just an awful lot of people. And on Boxing Day morning, like, why are we here? I'm here because I love my daughter and I love my grandsons and they had money. How fun. So we went to the Tanger Outlet. We stood in a lineup that would just kind of snake the whole way through here. And everybody was happy because look at the deals we got on these Nike shoes. Man, amazing deals on Nike shoes. I'm a Walmart dude. I really don't care what it has on it. It can have a fake Nike. I don't really care. If they're comfortable and they make an old man's feet fit nice, I'm happy. Anyway, it was fun. It was a good experience. I got to experience Nike at Tanger with my grandkids and my daughter. It was really fun. So there's something in us as believers in particular that tugs at us that there must be more. No matter what we do, no matter how we navigate, no matter how busy we get, there has to be something to this life that is different than, than this. There's, there's got to be something more. So some of us grew up in areas where we create a legalistic way. And we look and act, and if you do this, then you'll be holy. And so I did that. I don't remember wearing a white shirt and a tie because I had to wear a white shirt and a tie because God wanted me to wear a white shirt and tie. And if you didn't wear a white shirt and tie, whoo, and jeans, that would not do it. Really? You know, does that make him happy? Oh, Jesus said, I look at the inside. I look at the heart. It's not exterior, it's interior. So what more do I need to do? Some of us get tired. We lose our way. It's too hard. Kind of come to the conclusion that God must be mad at us or he's not listening. He's testing me, whatever it was. Many of us resign ourselves to believe that this is as good as it gets. And we just wait for that glorious day when it'll all be made better. When I was about 20 or 21 years old, all of this darkness collapsed on me. My dad had died. I was still maintaining this exterior But inside, I was the deadest cesspool of life you could ever imagine. I had no hope. I had no concept of God. I was still maintaining this exterior. But inside, I was a dead man. And the only thing I wanted to do was to die. So I went down to the Atlantic Ocean. My family was from Philadelphia, my mom's family. And I went down to visit... And then I went down just to end my life by throwing myself in the Atlantic Ocean. Didn't even know how I was going to do it, but I knew I never wanted to come home. There's no reason to live. There is no hope. Without 
God in here, without hope in here, there is no reason to live. Nothing satisfied me, and I quickly found that out at a very early age. I stood by the ocean. I was pretty chicken. I couldn't throw myself in. I thought, I don't even know how to throw myself in. I don't even know how to die. I'm such a loser, I don't even know how to die. Like, what a loser. And I was scared to jump off the pier. So I just finally yelled out to God, who I honestly hadn't maybe heard of or thought of or felt like he had long abandoned me. I yelled out to God and I said, I want to die. Now, I would say that louder, but I think I might pop your speaker system here and make a baby cry. So I, but I just yelled it. And there's all sorts of people from New York. There was Belmar, New Georgia, Atlantic City, crazy people in New Jersey, right? And, and there were a lot of people from New York City, actually, and they were all stoned and high. So for me just to stand there just yelling, I want to die, I just kind of fit in with a group of weird people. So I just stood there and I yelled, I want to die. And I think it was the first time I've ever heard God's voice. And I heard this very clear voice speak to me and said, good. And I had this discussion with God I've never had in my life. I said, what kind of sick God are you? I said, I want to die. And you are saying, good. I don't get you. It was about a few minutes later I realized, hey, what was that? We just communicated. I went back to my motel room. I have no idea why, to this day, I brought my Bible. It wasn't this one. But I brought my Bible, and I opened it up, and I just thought, out of desperation, show me some scripture that gives me hope here. And I opened it up, and the verse that pops off the page to me is, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it'll bear no fruit. Okay, that's not coincidence. There's something that you're telling me. And I'll tell you, over the 40-some-odd years from that day to now, God has been revealing what that really means. Doug, you got to die to you in order to live to me. There's no compromise. There's no shared responsibility. You're either dead and alive, or you're alive to you and not alive to me. There's no middle ground. Gives me such hope today that transformation is possible in this day. I don't have to wait for that glorious day. Oh, yeah, then I will be perfect. But in the process, I am being made into the likeness of Christ. So I've been reading, I've been reading Colossians, I've been reading Galatians, been enjoying it, just kind of where Paul is coming from. And I was reading, musing, as you do in this stage in life. And I was reading um, Colossians 1.27. Don't worry, we are going to get to the scripture in case you're thinking like, well, I've got my Bible and I'm not going to use it. We will, we will, we will. Hold on. Um, so I was reading Colossians 1.27 and it says, Paul is saying to them, here is the secret. Yeah, what's the secret? Christ lives in you. That's crazy. I mean, you know, we know it. Ding, ding. But really? Christ lives in me? We actually see this in these exercises that we were doing with uh, some of the leadership of your church. One of the exercises we do is we, we ask, how can you see Christ in each other? And it becomes this awkward conversation, like, am I allowed to say that? Yes! He's in me. Christ in me. The hope of glory. Christ lives in me. He sees, he knows, he's aware of everything that I do, that I think, that I say. Everything. His life in me. Can hardly grasp the truth, but it's true. So Paul goes on in verse 28 of Colossians 1 and he says, 
We want to present you, the Church of Colossae, present you perfect in your relationship, mature in your relationship with Christ. Why does he strive so hard? So that we will present it perfect before Christ. Verse 29, he goes on, and this is kind of a key here. Paul goes on and says, This is why I, Paul, work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power. I see a lot of pastors and ministers that get burned out, and they leave ministry, they crash, they burn. I'll guarantee you, if you're walking in the Spirit, depending on Christ's mighty power, you will not run out of strength. If you rely on your own, you will fizzle. But on Him, you won't. So as I'm reading Colossians and I'm going on, I'm doing that in preparation for this message that I want to share here this morning. And I go on to chapter 2, verse 1, and Paul is agonizing for the church, and he'd likely never been there, and he's agonizing for the church at Laodicea, and all of a sudden, all of my teaching comes up and thinks, whoa, I know about that church. I never connected the two of them. I know about the church at Laodicea. There's no way I'm going there. There's no way. I mean, let me make my deal with God. There's no way I'm going there. I am not, I've never, ever in my life spoken out of the book of Revelation. I've seen all the charts. I've never been able to figure them out. I can't find my way through the hospital here at Perth. I mean, who put those arrows up there? That is the most confusing place in the world, but I tried a couple weeks ago. I don't get, I don't, I try charts. I don't get them. Linda has to interpret everything for me. I can't put together Ikea furniture if you pay me. So when I look at some of this stuff in Revelations, it's deep. It's numerical. It's got dates. It's got sequences. It's figurative. It's, wow, I don't know if I can actually get this. But I'm sitting there, and I sense the Spirit of God just saying for me today, for you today, to go to Revelation 3 and look at the church of Laodicea. That's your cue that if you have a Bible, I'll be reading out of the NLT. I apologize if it's not the one you're reading out of. Um, It's just the one I'm familiar with. So in verse 14, I'm going to read from verse 14 to 22. Jesus says, write the letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen. Jesus is saying this about himself. He is the amen. He is the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Verse 15, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot or cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Don't you realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? So I advise you to buy buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. And buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who hears, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. He is the Amen. He is the truth. This is Jesus speaking truth. He starts off by just saying, I know all the things that you do. There are many of us that think we can hide from God. He doesn't see what we do in private. He sees everything. He knows everything. 
everything. He knows every thought. I know the things that you do, and you are lukewarm. In the town of Laodicea, it was not wisely built from a geographic point of view. It had no water source. It wasn't on a port. It wasn't by fresh water. It had no water source. It was at a crossroads, but it wasn't at a water source. So Jesus, in his address to the church there, uses this as an example and says, your water has to be piped in either from hot springs over here or cold springs over here. By the time it gets to you six miles, it's warm. It's lukewarm. It's useless. Nobody likes lukewarm water, especially if it's from a sulfur spring. It's bitter. It's terrible. You want to spit it out. So he uses a practical example that the church totally understands. Their water was lukewarm. They understood what that was like. And he says, that's how you are. You say you're rich. You don't need anything. You know, there was a town in the town of Laodicea, there was an earthquake And they had so much money, they didn't need the imperial treasury to help them. They rebuilt it themselves. No, thank you. I don't need your help. I have enough money. I can fix this, and I can do it all by myself. I have everything I need. I don't need a thing. Jesus looks at them, and he says, I see them otherwise. They're wretched. They're miserable. They're poor. They're blind. And they're naked. What a contrast. They can't see themselves but he can. I think at times we stop, we get a glimpse of the way we really see ourselves, and we quickly hide from that, we quickly run from it, we quickly find some way of avoiding that. We try to fill ourselves with things that make us feel good again, that prove to us that we're really not like that, that I really am better than I am. But Jesus goes on and he says, buy from me, gold that is purified and you will be rich interesting thing is you can't buy this gold with your own money there's nothing you can buy it with so how do you buy it as I was thinking about that the only way I'd know how to buy it is it's his provision so by faith I receive it receive your purity your supply you can't buy this on your own I've already paid the price for it so come by faith in me, I would sense Jesus saying there. See, the city was the city of trade. There was lots of gold that was there. There was lots of commerce. It was very, very rich. And Jesus is again using that example to the church to say, all your gold, it's nothing. Buy gold from me that will satisfy. He goes on to say, buy white garments from me so you will not be ashamed of your nakedness. The very first thing that Adam and Eve did when they saw each other was cover themselves because they were ashamed seeing each other because of their sin. Laodicea was a center of a fine woolen undergarments. It was made with black wool, kind of interesting symbolism. And Jesus says to them, I want you to buy from me white garments. Not black garments, white garments. These fine woolen undergarments were treasured the world over. It was known for its fine black wool. But Jesus is saying the exact opposite. I want to give you white wool. I want to give you white garments. I want to give you purity. Because he could see that they were naked and they were ashamed. White robes are so symbolic. Buy from me what you can't do yourself. So many of us want to make ourselves clean and pure. And we try so many ways of doing that. And Jesus just says, you can't do it on your own. 
Buy from me a robe that makes you white and pure. It's my blood that cleanses you, not your effort or ability. Laodicea was also a medical center. It was where they uh, were famous for their eye salve. So there was great healing that came out of that area. So again, this word is directed to buy from me salve. Your salve works on the exterior of the eye, but it doesn't work so you can't really see who you are. You can't see the state of who you are. You can't see the world around you and how empty it is. You can't see Jesus. So Jesus says, buy from me without your money, because your money can't buy what I give you. Turn from your indifference and buy from me and come to me. What I sense out of this, and and there's many ways of looking at this, but the high level, the, the area that I just want to touch on today to relate it to us here in Ottawa, in Northgate, in Perth, uh, myself, you. Jesus says, turn from your indifference. Most of us have no idea what we really look like. One of the things that I get to be involved in is just sending us off in times of silence. And I'll tell you that most of us are terrified of a time alone with God. It sounds really weird, but we are. What will he say? What will I see? What will it be like? Who am I when I'm not doing anything? I was at a retreat about three weeks ago where I didn't do anything for hours, and it killed me. I sat for an hour in front of a gas fireplace, just feeling that's where I was supposed to sit. You know how boring a gas fireplace is? Flip, flip, flip. The flames all look the same. You can memorize them after about four minutes. And I just felt the Lord just saying, just sit here. Be still. Well, I want to go and do something. What are you going to do? You're at a retreat. You don't have to do food. You can go back to your room and sleep. Why can't you just sit here and be still? Wow. That's hard. So we fill ourselves with anything but being still. And yet in that stillness, I think we get a glimpse of where we're really at. Perhaps we touch on the area where we actually see that we are naked, poor, blind, and empty. And it scares us. But what he wants us to see is, no, no, no. I don't want you to dwell on that. I want you to see me. I want you to have eyes to see how I see you. How he longs for us to see who we are, yes, but who he really is. Not to punish us. Not to condemn us. John's gospel, John three seventeen says he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him could be saved from themselves, from their sin, from their darkness. So Jesus goes on in this passage to the Laodicean church, and he says, I stand at the door and knock. Let me in. Many times that's used in my upbringing for a gospel message saying, you don't know Jesus, let me in. The reference here is actually to the church, and he's referring to people that actually know him. But will you let me in, fully in to you, fully in I don't know about you, but when I was first working through this whole, how do I surrender my life, there were certain rooms. If my, if my life was a house, there were certain rooms, and I'll give you these, but you're not having this one, you're not having this one, you're not having this one, and you're not having this one. Knock, knock. I want that one. <laughs> no, employment security, future, no, 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 no. I want to be in control. Well, Doug, there'd be a problem there because if you're in control, then I'm not Lord. You are. 
Do you trust me? No, I really don't. Then why don't you trust me? I don't know how to. Then teach me to trust. Let me in. Let me in. It's not, let me in, big bear or big wolf is going to blow the house down if you don't. It's nothing like that. By the way, there's a politically correct version of that fairy tale. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. He didn't really want to blow the house down and eat them. He just wanted to sleep in their home because he didn't have a place to live. Everything is so politically correct now. Oh, what a horrible story. Anyway, so Jesus... I wasn't expecting to say that, but this is me. So Jesus is standing at the door knocking, saying, I want this area of your life not to consume you, but to free you. I want to free you. Can you and I hear him knocking? The deepest longing in every single person is intimacy with God. Our deepest desire is being in Christ. Adam and Eve had it when they walked in the garden. It got lost because of sin. Since then, we've tried to fill it with everything else, but our deepest longing is to walk with God, to be with God. We try it in our own strength. We try it in our own possessions. We try it in our own abilities. There's a book that I refer a lot to, um, and it talks about men's struggle with porn, or actually anybody's struggle with porn. And the answer to pornography is not self-discipline. It's intimacy with Jesus. I've never met a man who has true intimacy with Jesus that struggles with porn once they see the difference. They're longing for pure and true intimacy that can only be found in Jesus. We can't buy this gold. We can't supply what we need. We think we're rich. It could all be taken away in a moment's notice. Our economy is fueled by debt. How rich are we really? How long will it last? I don't know. But it's not as secure as we think it is. We can't heal ourselves. We can't see. We can't make ourselves pure. But by faith, we can receive how he sees us. By faith, we can return and repent and receive all of his riches, his righteousness, his sight. We can believe, receive. We can trust in his love. For Jesus longs for you and I to have fellowship with him. He stands at the door and knocks and says, I want to have a meal with you as friends. I don't know about you, but the God I grew up with scared me to death. To have a meal with him as a friend, that's intimacy. That's fellowship. So practical next steps. I'm winding up. I'm not sure when you end. I tried following your website to see, and you're all over the place with time messages. And there was one place I went to, and I spoke, and they speak for 52 minutes or 48 minutes, or 46 minutes, I said, I will have to end this with knock-knock jokes because there's no way I can teach that long. I'll be falling asleep standing up. So I promise you we're wrapping up. We're not going to be too long, just in case you need to know that. Practical next steps. Can the clay say to the potter, you can't do this? Really? I've tried. Many times I've tried. I now live my life saying whatever you want, I will do. If you ask me to do this, I'm not going to argue with you anymore. I'm going to say yes. Because every time I do argue, I lose. So why not now, with the dates and the numbers and days I've got left, why argue? Just give in. You're going to win anyway. I want to trust you. With anything you want me to do, I will do. Practical next steps. I would encourage all of us to get alone with God, face the silence and the stillness. 
also get alone with someone else. Talks about confess your sins one to another. There's a beauty in having someone know and be able to share and to pray. Some practical things that I've just seen in my own journey is I've had to break off vows. I think, what? I couldn't believe it, but there was living under them. I was living under stuff I'll never be free. God has failed. I'm not good enough. It's not going to happen. And I had to confess them as lies and sin, that I had believed these things and had faith in them, not in the living word of God. I had to admit, confess, and repent of just sliding back into the easy way. We ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, and I promise you, Spirit of truth will reveal what needs to be revealed. I repent of my efforts to save myself, to earn God's approval, to make him love me. This is otherwise known as me trying to control God. Repentance is me going in this direction and turning now going in this direction. I once lived totally for me. Now I'm turning to live totally for God. That is repentance. There's a guy that heads up Jericho Road, a ministry that I'm involved with in Ottawa. I've been involved there originally for six weeks. It's been like 10 or 12 years, and I think it's going to be there until I don't have any breath left. But it's an amazing ministry where guys off the street get to come, and you'd know that from Randy and some other people that are there um, that are here. Amazing ministry, but I keep learning more and more and more about grace and about what it's like to walk in truth. The guy that heads up the program right now, Kevin Williams, shares with me that when he wakes up in the morning, the very first thing he prays is, God, I cannot make it through this day without your help. I will fall. I will fail. I cannot do this day without you. And I realize I never wake up that way. I wake up asking God to bless my plans. He wakes up. I'm totally, utterly dependent on you. Boy, has that ever changed the way I pray and think about when I get up in the morning. So I wake up and I confess, Lord, I believe you. I believe you are my righteousness. You are my freedom, and it's all by faith. Lord, I receive your strength, your provision for my life. You will never leave me, never forsake me. I receive your bread of life, so I will never hunger. I receive your water of life, so I'll never thirst. Because here's the secret, Colossians 1. Christ lives in me. Nevertheless, not I live. Man, I've lived my life in conflict with Christ in me. But now, the life I live, Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me, so that I may live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So as Paul, as he agonized for the church at Colossae and the Laodicea, as Paul would say, and we too, that we too may be presented to Christ as people, as a church, perfect in our relationship with him. Christ in me, the hope and glory. My prayer for you this morning, for myself, is that we'll be encouraged in the truth of what Jesus says. Not in how I see it. I don't put faith in the way I see things anymore because I don't see clearly. I need his sight. I need his wisdom. I need his eyes to see what is really true. I need his word for it is truth. And it is Christ in me. His strength in me 
allows me to be and to do all he asks me to do. Let's pray, okay? Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ, your son, your all. Thank you for sending him to die for me, to die for us, that we might experience death to ourselves and life in you. Lord, many of us, I understand, like myself, fear what it's like to lose control. And yet you invite us to let go and receive all of you, to receive your love and to trust you completely, fully and wholly for who you are and your desires for us to be like you. Lord, I pray for each of us that we'll be presented to you in a way that says yes, perfect and holy, that we will know without any shadow of a doubt it is Christ that lives in me, the hope of glory. Nevertheless, not I live, but Christ lives in me. Praise you that you have made this possible through Jesus our Lord. Amen.